Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When vivacious single mom Mary Stetson's night on the town comes to an early end... We were just devastated. I was in shock. I didn't know what to say. The folks of Manchester, New Hampshire, can't believe the house of horrors where Mary met such a brutal end. With the manner that Mary was murdered and dismembered and the body discarded, it was chilling. Who could have committed this grisly deed? Police round up a jilted date who may hold a grudge, a shopkeeper after more than a sale, and an admirer with a deep, dark secret. Well, to me, it appeared that somebody had experienced this type of murder. Somebody spent some time to get away with it. Only when a mystery woman gives police a tip do they find a killer who fits the crime. He is somebody who was probably born evil and will be evil for the rest of his life. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? The classic New England town of Manchester, New Hampshire, is best known as the location of the first presidential primary. But no one would vote for Manchester in a city planning contest, because visitors who drive downtown often encounter their very own nightmare on Elm Street. Manchester's main drag is Elm Street, and it has a very unique distinction of being the longest street in America that is a dead end at both ends. No one knows why, but for 40-year-old resident Mary Stetson, the oddball street is all part of Manchester's charm. The vivacious and hardworking single mom shares an apartment on Kimball Street with four of her youngins, ages 9 to 24. And her oldest, Tamara, lives right across the street. With a household that's bursting at the seams, Mary runs a tight ship. She was a mother, you know, so if she didn't like something or you didn't do something, she meant business, you know, you were scared of her, you know, but she was, she was a good mom. 
Separated from her husband for the last 10 years, Mary works the late shift on the factory assembly line at the cable company to support her family. While Mary enjoys time with her kids, she also likes to go out on the town to blow off some steam every now and then. And when she does, people take notice. She just loved people, and she was a beautiful woman, tall, thin. People were just drawn to her, you know? Mary's the kind of woman who turns heads when she walks into her favorite pub. But in the summer of 1999, Mary's fun-loving days are about to come to an end. It's a balmy Sunday night on July 18th, and Mary is thankful she has the night off from work. After daughter Tamara comes over to watch her younger siblings, Mary pretties herself up for a 5.30 date with Daryl, a man Mary's seen just once before. But when he doesn't show, she assumes he's not interested so Mary heads out the door solo. I guess she was a little probably agitated maybe and just said I had to get out of here. So she went into a cab and went off to Flo's Bar in downtown Manchester. When Tamara's doorbell rings just 15 minutes later, she's surprised to see her mom's time-challenged date. Seems the blonde-haired suitor got lost on the way over but tells Tamara he'd still like to catch up with her mom, so Tamara tells him to check out Flo's bar. It's a decision Tamara starts to second-guess when her reliable mom doesn't return home that night. She would always come home or call. She was good for calling, so when she didn't come home, we knew something was wrong. That's not like her. By morning, Tamara is sick to her stomach with worry. And things only get worse later that night when she learns her mother never showed up for her 10 o'clock shift. It was kind of nerve-wracking. I figured somebody just took her out, you know, like just did, did something horrible to her. Fearing the worst, Tamara dials up Manchester's finest. Manchester Sergeant Scott Fuller is a no-nonsense vet with two decades on the force under his belt. So when he hears that local Mary Stetson is missing, he calmly takes in all the facts. She was a black female, about five foot seven, 135 pounds. She wore glasses, she had dark hair, brown eyes, and she had very distinguishing uh, tattoos. One of the tattoos was on the back of her right shoulder, and it was Mary, M-A-R-Y. Fuller is certain he'll figure out where Mary is, but no sooner is he on the hunt for her than he gets an urgent call from dispatch. Seems a man named Steve Barlow was walking along the Piscataquag River and made a disturbing discovery at the popular swimming hole. He saw a duffel bag about 40 yards away, uh, bobbing up and down in the water, but hung up on the dam. And when Steve retrieved it and looked inside, he couldn't believe his eyes and he was able to unzip it. Uh, and when he did it, uh, he believed that he saw a dead baby. It's the strangest story Fuller has heard in a while. So he bolts out of the station and makes the one-mile drive to the river in record time. When we responded to the scene, it was very chaotic. Uh, there was police everywhere. The uh, man who found the bag was upset. It was right over there uh, at the top of the dam that uh, he pointed out the duffel bag to us. 
police cordon off the area and speak to the man who found the bag. Steve is shaking like a leaf, but manages to tell police he wishes he hadn't been so curious when he stumbled across it. He went looking to see if there was something interesting in this bag, and uh, albeit interesting, it wasn't what he was expecting. When Fuller takes a peek inside the waterlogged bag, his jaw drops. He can see what has Steve so rattled. The bag does contain a dead body, but it's not what the caller described. He's certain what he's looking at is a woman's torso. This discovery was absolutely horrifying. Uh, we had never come across a crime or a murder of this level of brutality before, and it was uh, almost unimaginable that uh, somebody had decapitated and severed the limbs. It's a scene that has everyone rattled, and Fuller's heart sinks when he sees the name Mary tattooed on the woman's back. He realizes that this poor soul is probably Mary Stetson, whose daughter reported her missing only four hours earlier. At the time that uh, I saw the name Mary tattooed on her upper back, I did start to think there was a possibility it could be Mary Stetson. The Manchester PD is going to need a dream team to figure out who's behind this gruesome deed. So as officers fan out and search for evidence, Fuller gets on the horn and calls in the homicide squad. Manchester Captain Mark Putney loves the action that his job brings, but with only a few murders a year in his town, it's often just hurry up and wait. But things are about to pick up big time when Putney hears about the drama on the banks of the Piscataquag River. You can't prepare for it. All the training and experience that you have, I think the fact that when you see something like this, it's so disturbing that you can't ever forget it. And for Putney, a case like this definitely calls for thinking outside the box. Some of the first things that you think about is a drug cartel, or you think of a, a serial killer that may be out there that's very sick and very bizarre. With only a torso, it sure looks like solving this case is going to be as rock hard as a slab of New Hampshire granite. And it's going to be even harder for Putney to tell Mary's family. They took us down to the police station and they told us that they had found her body and we were just devastated. I was in shock. I didn't know what to say. Putney then starts the difficult task of asking a few questions about Mary's last night. While Mary's daughter, Tamara, says that she doesn't have many details about her mom's late date, Daryl, she can give Putney a description. Mary's daughter described Daryl as a white male slender build in his 20s, short blonde hair, spiked with blue eyes. So police work up a composite sketch and send it to the local media, hoping Daryl has the decency to come forward. He was somebody that obviously was very important for us to speak with. And as time passed and he wasn't coming forward, it raised our suspicion. Is Daryl just late to the party, as he was for his date with Mary? Or is his no-show an admission of guilt? Of course, it may be that someone else at Flo's bar saw Mary last. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Stop anyone on the street in Manchester, New Hampshire, and they may have a ghost story to tell, or two. According to local lore, many spirits lurk in the old buildings and streets of this historic city. And the day after Mary Stetson's murder, local journalist Kevin Flynn finds folks are a lot less scared of the ghosts than of Mary Stetson's killer. Mothers were not allowing their children to play outside. People weren't swimming in the river. There were people that were sleeping with guns and baseball bats next to them, people going out buying mace. Good thing the boys of the Manchester PD have a lead on a promising suspect, Mary's tardy date, Daryl. But so far, this mystery man is keeping police at bay. Daryl was somebody that obviously was very important for us to speak with because he was the person that Mary was supposed to go on a date with that night. Detectives hope Daryl will turn up, but they have no plans to wait for him. 
so they hit the bar scene to ask around about this lost Lothario and anyone else Mary may have been with on that fateful night. We were able to establish by looking at cab records that Mary was picked up at her residence on Kimball Street and taken to Flo's bar on Lake Ave. Police head over to Flo's and pass around a photo of Mary. Several customers confirm seeing Mary at her regular spot at the bar, but don't recall who she was with that night. But when investigators venture over to Mike's Pub and Grub, they hit pay dirt. Mike's Pub and Grub is a bar that's across the street from Flo's, and a lot of the people that frequent one also frequent the other. And one of the witnesses who was at Mike's Pub and Grub described Mary as being with a white male subject, shoulder-length, light brown hair, in his 40s. At first blush, the man doesn't seem to fit blonde 20-something Daryl's description. So if Daryl didn't catch up with Mary that night, who did? Nobody that we spoke with was able to identify the person. He was seen in the bar before, but nobody knew him by name. No one recalls seeing him with Mary before either. But that night, he sure seemed smitten with her. On their way out the door, he even bought Mary a souvenir from a street vendor. This individual was bargaining with a black male uh, over the price of a teddy bear. Black male wanted $20 for the teddy bear. Uh, the male that was with Mary was willing to pay $5. Either this guy really was sweet on Mary, or he was simply trying to charm her before revealing his true colors. But police don't get the tip they're hoping for at the bars. Both of the bars didn't really have the capability of accepting credit cards. And, you know, a lot of people just paid cash for their beer. So it was difficult to try to establish who was using what, who paid for what. Before police can figure out this secret suitor's identity, the autopsy results come in. Even though the coroner only has a partial body to examine, he's still able to come to several conclusions. There's no evidence of sexual assault, so it seems Mary's attacker only had one thing in mind, murder. She was stabbed 12 times with a knife. I believe the blade was at least four inches in length. 12 stab wounds suggest a lot of violence and a lot of rage. Whoever's to blame certainly went to extremes not to get caught by taking the time to cut up the body with a saw. By removing the head and removing the limbs, it slows down the identification process. The removing of the hands takes away the opportunity to try to get fingerprints and make a quick identification. A gruesome act, possibly committed by one of Mary's admirers. Is it the dark horse suspect at the bar? Or did Mary's belated beau, Daryl, run into her after all? A couple of days later, police get their answer when the man who stood up Mary finally shows up at the station. Daryl came forward and identified himself as the date. And there was no doubt that the sketch that was provided by the family member and Daryl were one of the same people. Now police want to know, if Daryl has nothing to hide, why did he wait so long to come forward? Daryl was apologetic first for not coming forward right away with the information that he had. He said he just wanted to stay out of the matter. Police aren't sure what to make of Daryl just yet, so they ask him to run down the night's events. 
He says that after Mary's daughter pointed him in the right direction, he headed straight to the bar scene and quickly spotted Mary outside, thanks to her telltale black straw hat. Daryl describes Mary, I think they had said they had gone out a few days earlier. And when he saw her on the 18th, she was wearing the same hat, he thought. He goes on to say that he wanted to approach Mary, but she wasn't alone. He saw Mary at Mike's Pub and Grub, and he saw her leaving with an individual walking westerly on Lake Avenue. And when police hear what the other man looks like, they're positive he's the barfly they already have on their list. He described that individual as a white male with shoulder-length brownish blonde hair. Since most guys don't like playing second fiddle, police ask Daryl what he did with the rest of his night. He claimed that it wasn't a big deal to him. So he said he continued to socialize and have some drinks, and then he went over to a friend's house. But police have to wonder, is Daryl telling the truth, or was he really hopping mad that Mary turned the tables on him? While police have nothing to tie Daryl to the crime and his record is squeaky clean, they aren't ready to take him off their list just yet. Everybody that we looked at somehow remains on a list of potential suspects until we were able to find out exactly what happened. So we left that window open. And that list keeps on growing. Turns out Mary's daughter, Tamara, has another name for police. Local shopkeeper, Greg Howe. Someone she remembers her mom complaining about recently. Yeah, Greg owned a corner store market, and Mary would uh, go to the store almost on a daily basis. And Mary's children would help out at the store on occasion, uh, do some odd jobs. Tamara says that the Friday before her mom went missing, there was an incident involving Greg and her 16-year-old sister that her mother was none too happy about. One of Mary's daughters divulged to her that Greg had inappropriately uh, kissed her on an occasion that she was at the store uh, helping out Greg with some odd jobs. Mary was upset, and Mary was going to confront Greg later that evening. With a gripe as red-hot as this one, police have to ask themselves, did Mary give Greg a piece of her mind and then pay the ultimate price for it? New Hampshire is known as the Granite State because of its impressive rock formations. And three days after Mary Stetson's brutal murder, Police are leaving no stone unturned as they hunt for her killer. I wanted to solve quickly because we wanted closure. I wanted to bury my mother. So it's a good thing Tamara has already told police about a man her mom had a beef with, Greg Howe. Mary and her kids have been shopping at Greg's Market for years and even do a little part-time work for him once in a while. But a recent incident there had Mary mighty upset. My sister went over to do some work, and Greg was hitting on her and kissing her on the neck. And my mother got mad at him because 
we are her children. And thinking that this man is a friend to her and to do something so disgusting, she reacted. Tamara suspects that when her mom found out Greg was kissing her 16-year-old sister, she planned to give him a talking to on the very Sunday she went missing. But did she ever get the chance? Mary was upset, and if they did have a meeting, if they did speak to one another, and, you know, it could have been a volatile situation. With a suspect this hot, Putney figures there's no better time to round up a comrade in crime fighting. And he knows just who to call. Lieutenant James Susie may just be a rookie detective at the Manchester PD, but he's never met a bad guy he didn't enjoy taking down. And he's raring to find the monster who killed Mary Stetson. I remember telling my family that I was working on this case, but I left out a lot of details just because I didn't want to expose them to everything at that point. But Lieutenant Susie is ready to hear all the details from suspect Greg Howe. And when police catch up with Greg at his market, they waste no time putting him in the hot seat. Greg seems surprised to see police, but he's cooperative. And when they ask him when he last saw Mary, he says it was around six in the evening on that fateful Sunday. He indicated that she came in the store and she bought some beer and they had some small talk. Police doubt Mary was just there for a little chit-chat, but Greg insists she was her usual friendly self and didn't bring up her daughter whatsoever. Police doubt that's the case. Surely a protective mom like Mary would confront anyone who hit on her daughter. So they cut to the chase and ask Greg if he planted a kiss on her daughter's neck. The shopkeeper quickly brushes the accusation under the rug, nervously stammering that the whole incident was nothing. Greg didn't provide us much detail with regard to what actually took place. In his mind, he thought uh, that uh, it was a non-issue. He was somewhat vague and glossed over uh, the whole incident. Investigators keep digging and ask what he did with the rest of his night. Greg willingly shares all the details. He stayed at work, he closed up his business, and then he went home. We talked to another store employee, and he verified that he was at the store with Greg until closing time. In checking into Greg's alibi, everything appeared that he was being truthful with us. With a clean record and nothing pointing the finger at Greg, he doesn't seem good for it. But there just might be someone else who works at the store who is. As detectives are about to head out the door, Greg suggests that they speak to an employee of his named Eric Kenny. Eric Kenny worked for Greg at the market. He would help out um, when Greg needed some extra things done in the deli area or behind the register. And he spent a lot of time there as well, just hanging out and uh, talking with Greg. Greg tells police that Eric was working the Sunday Mary came in. And in fact, Greg swears he saw him flirting with her. When police ask if Eric minds answering a few questions about Mary, he's a bit nervous, but agrees to tell police what he knows. Yes, Eric says that he had seen Mary and that she had left the store after purchasing a six-pack. He thought he had seen her uh, earlier in the evening, around 6 o'clock. 
police get right down to brass tacks and ask Eric if perhaps he got a little cheeky with Mary. And when they do, this quiet stock boy opens the floodgates. Eric told us that he had a conversation with Mary and that Mary was being somewhat flirtatious with him and that she was asked what he was going to be doing later on in the evening and she suggested that she may come back to the store and meet with him. Eric goes on to say that Mary promised to stop by around 10 so they could go have a drink, and Eric was looking forward to it. So when his shift ended at 8, he waited for two hours. He thought that he might see her later on in the evening based upon his conversations with her. However, she didn't show back up at the store. So police have to wonder, did a jilted Eric go hunting for Mary and take it out on her in the worst way. When detectives ask Eric this very question, he claims he was disappointed, but that he simply helped Greg close up at 11 and went home. We were able to confirm that Eric's alibi went through Greg, and we were also able to confirm that through another family member of Eric. And with a record that's also as clean as a whistle, police move on from the market for now. So this was no different than any other case, but there were a lot of false leads in the beginning that took a lot of time, which can be frustrating for law enforcement. When Captain Putney hits a brick wall, he knows you have to follow the yellow brick road, so to speak. And he even has something very special to prove it. On the wall in my office, uh, there's a yellow brick, which signifies the yellow brick road uh, from the National FBI Academy. And it's awarded to the members of the academy that complete the obstacle course, which they refer to as the Yellow Brick Road. It was very challenging. So even when Putney can't see the killer behind the curtain, he knows he's just hit a bump in the road. There's obstacles all along the way. And I've had cases that have taken 15 years. Sometimes they take you down the wrong path. But if you keep working on it, you'll be successful. With his lucky charm paving the way, Putney gets back on the road to solving Mary Stetson's murder. And when he does, a strange late-night call comes into the police tip line. About two weeks after the discovery of Mary, we received a phone call from a woman who was questioning the whereabouts of her ex-husband. Although the woman sounds a bit disoriented, Dispatch tries to get as much information out of her as they can about her missing person. She said that he had been around uh, in the last couple of weeks, and it was very unusual for him not to be in contact with her. Additionally, she told us that when she went over to his apartment to try to locate him, she found some items that were missing from the apartment that were very unusual and that we thought may be connected to this case. Could this confused caller hold the clues to solving Mary's murder? Shockingly, a second call is about to come in that sends the case in a drastically new direction. Two weeks after Mary Stetson's brutal murder, as the sun sets on the usually peaceful town of Manchester, New Hampshire, folks just can't stop tossing and turning. Everybody was on edge. It was really important for someone to be arrested and for this to be put to bed. Otherwise, people just couldn't sleep at night. 
police are not getting much shut-eye either. They're hard at work trying to make heads or tails of a phone tip that recently came into the station from a woman looking for her ex-husband. She was somewhat confused, and she was trying to report an adult male missing who she thought may be connected to this case. And she couldn't provide any details as to why she thought he was missing. But before police can even take down her name, the dazed caller hangs up, which makes police wonder, did they just miss a breaking tip that could have led them to Mary's killer? Or was this just a bogus phone call in a seemingly bottomless pile of dead-end leads? The information she provided to us was vague at best, and although we did want to follow up on this, it was just another missing persons and not something pointing specifically to the crime or connecting it to the crime. Then, the very next morning, their flaky tipster calls again. But this time, she's speaking clearly and is ready to talk turkey. She says her name is Donna Plick. She identified her ex-husband as Vaclav Plick and that he was a Czech immigrant. About 40 years of age, they had been married but since divorced. And although she was the ex-wife, she was still in touch with him quite frequently. Donna goes on to say it's been two weeks now since she last saw or heard from him, and that's unusual, so she's worried. Since she read about Mary's brutal murder, she's had a strange hunch that he may have had a hand in it. Donna felt there were some unusual things connected to his disappearance that we may want to look into in relation to this crime that we're investigating. It sure sounds like a long shot, but detectives are willing to give Donna a listen. Donna provided us with some details, and some of those details included his violent history with her. She had been assaulted in the past on a number of occasions. He had indicated that he could do things to her like cut her up. And since he recently lost his job and has been drinking heavily, Donna has a feeling he may be back to his violent ways. When Donna tells detectives what her ex used to do for a living, the plot thickens. Donna provided us with some details about his employment history, in particular that he had worked for a company uh, deboning chickens and meat products, and that he was very familiar with knives and cutting things up. And there's more. Donna goes on to say that she went looking for Vaclav the other day at his apartment. And after letting herself in with a spare key, she noticed a few odd things. She said that he had a knife he liked to carry around that seemed to be missing from the apartment. Based upon what we were looking into, this particular murder, she felt that this was something that we needed to know. And as Donna takes an even closer look, something else catches her attention. Donna pointed out that the carpet was missing in her ex-husband's bedroom. There was a large section that had been cut out could Vaclav be trying to hide something, like the aftermath of a murder? But what Donna tells police next really gets their wheels turning. Donna says her hubby is quite the angler, and she describes where he usually casts his line. The area that Mary was found was a specific area that her ex-husband would go fishing. While this flood of information about the curious check sure is intriguing, it still doesn't mean Donna's ex is Mary's killer. 
Maybe Donna's just a disgruntled ex-wife trying to exact her revenge on an abusive ex. After all, police have no idea if Voklov even knew Mary. And just as police start to search for Voklov to find out, another call comes into the station that turns the case on its head. A man named Josh Kendall, who did know Mary, claims police should look into a guy who goes by the name of Slim, a hothead who has a penchant for sharp objects. Slim apparently had this attraction to knives. In fact, the person who provided this information had said that he had uh, several knives in his possession that he was frequently seen carrying. Seems when Josh heard about Mary's demise, he thought he should tell police about something that happened about a week before she died. Josh says he, Mary, and Slim were at a party when Mary took a shine to him instead of Slim, and Slim took offense. But Slim was so angry, he didn't just let it end there. He told us that Slim ended up assaulting him because he was so upset. Josh was able to fight him off, but Slim left steaming mad. And based on Slim's penchant for knives, Josh is worried Slim got his revenge by killing Mary later. Problem is, this caller doesn't know the knife-wielding guy's real name or where he lives. He believes that at one point, Slim made his home 20 miles away in the city of Concord. But last he heard, Slim was sleeping on the streets. We were told he was somebody who liked to party, somebody who liked to do drugs, somebody who got in some trouble frequently and eventually got kicked out of his apartment. Police aren't quite sure yet what to think of the call. But it does sound believable, since Slim knew Mary and had a thing for knives. So police have to wonder, is Slim Mary's killer, or is the missing check their man? The answer just might await them inside a house of horrors. Three weeks after Mary Stetson's murder, police have two suspects in their sights. A former butcher who's mysteriously gone missing, and an angry drifter named Slim who police have finally tracked down. Slim was located in the city of Concord, New Hampshire, at a homeless camp which was uh, along the river. Police are determined to figure out if Slim not only went after a man named Josh Kendall at a recent party, but lashed out at the woman Josh was flirting with, Mary Stetson. When detectives arrive at the camp, they find Slim living in a makeshift tent. He seemed somewhat surprised, maybe confused as to the reasons we were questioning him. But Slim is cooperative. He says his real name is Rick Mercer, and he readily admits he got a little peeved at his rival Josh, but insists he didn't lay a hand on Mary. But Slim has a reputation that makes police wonder if he's telling the truth. We had heard that Slim had this attraction to knives, and in fact, he had a set of knives or some that he had been seen carrying. This was of particular interest because we found Mary dismembered. When Slim allows police to search his tent, they find he's not much of a housekeeper but they don't discover any knives or anything else to indicate he's a killer. And given his laid-back demeanor, police wonder whether he even assaulted Josh at the party. And when police ask Slim where he was the Sunday Mary was killed, 
he has an answer at the ready. He says he was staying with friends for a long weekend, so detectives check his story. We were able to follow up on that and determine that, in fact, his story that he provided was believable and matched up with his alibi. With Slim crossed off their list, police can now focus on the other man still on the roster. Hot-tempered Czech, Vaklov Blick. Thanks to his ex-wife Donna, they know all about his abusive marriage and the knife skills he's honed as a butcher. And when Donna brings police a photo of her missing ex, investigators think there's a good chance he was the sandy-haired man witnesses saw leaving the bar with Mary the night she was killed. It was clearly consistent with the information we were getting from uh, some of the other witnesses, his height, his weight, his characteristics. Detectives have no trouble getting a search warrant to see what else this suspicious check may be hiding. Along with a forensics team, detectives make their way inside Vaklov's one-bedroom apartment. Nothing seems out of place in the living room, but behind his closed bedroom door, they immediately see the missing piece of carpet that Donna told them about. The carpet appeared to be cut out deliberately and not torn. There were fibers which were recovered on the floor that appeared to have a red stain tint to them. The missing carpet suggested that somebody tried to alter the crime scene, tried to change and get rid of what probably was blood evidence. Could this be where Mary spent her terrifying last moments? Then something else catches investigators' eyes. On the center of a small, neatly made twin bed is a black straw hat. Mary was described as wearing a particular hat during her disappearance, both by her family, some of the people that had seen her in the bar, and people that had seen her with Plick. Could this be the very hat Mary was wearing the night she went missing? And on a shelf behind Vaklov's bed, investigators find that for a grown man, he has some very interesting keepsakes. And one of them especially stands out. We discovered a number of stuffed animals in the bedroom area where we believe the crime took place. One in particular was a teddy bear that didn't have an eye. We had received information during the investigation that he had possibly tried to purchase a teddy bear for Mary. As the forensics team dusts for fingerprints and searches for blood spatter evidence, an even more illuminating clue comes to light. Once we use this particular chemical to show us how much blood evidence was inside the room, it lit up like a Christmas tree. You could come across blood everywhere, on every wall, on every piece of the bed, uh, flooring, everywhere. The forensics team gathers the blood samples for DNA testing. Then, just as police think they've seen it all, they make yet another shocking discovery this time in Vaklov's bedroom closet, a large handheld saw. With the facts of this case and the manner that Mary was murdered and dismembered and the body discarded, it was chilling. Police send the evidence to the lab to see if Mary's blood is a match. For now, all they can do is wait and wonder, is Vaklov Mary's killer? We thought that this suspect could be the one. All the information that we were gathering in that short amount of time certainly pointed towards this as being our suspect. While police look for Vaklov, the lab tests come back for the blood and evidence found in his apartment. 
it's a match to Mary's. And for detectives, it's like an early Christmas gift. The question still remains, where is Vaclav Blick? On August 10th, 1999, Vaclav Plick is finally located in Austin, Texas, and arrested for the murder of Mary Stetson. It was a great feeling to put cuffs on him, um, knowing now that this was the final stage of this investigation, was actually to get him locked up and off the street and back to Manchester. It was a gratifying feeling. Once police have Vaclav in the hot seat, the slick check gives them the runaround. I don't know. I don't know. But detectives eventually wear Vaclav down, and he confesses to cutting Mary up into pieces. On November 14th, 2000, one and a half years after Mary's death, Vaclav Plick is convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without parole. Finally, Mary's daughters can breathe a sigh of relief that justice is finally served. When Mr. Plick was convicted, I was overjoyed and felt, you know, a lightness towards me. And um, so we can all can get on with this instead of worrying about if he's still on the run. Based on Mary's injuries, the evidence, and the confession from Vaclav Plick, police piece together what they believe happened on that terrible July night. It all started when Mary meets Vaklov at Mike's Pub and Grub. The two drink and share some laughs. And after a few hours at the bar, Vaklov invites Mary to his apartment. But at some point, she didn't want to stay there anymore. She wanted to leave. Things weren't going well at the apartment. But this doesn't sit well with Vaklov and he snaps in a drunken, murderous rage. He stabs Mary with one of his fishing knives and passes out. The next morning, Vaklov wakes to see Mary dead at the foot of his bed. He'll later cut out the bloody piece of carpet where she lay, but for now, he moves her body into the bathtub. He realized that he had to dispose of her so that nobody would find her. And in his own twisted mind, based upon what he had done for a living, he felt the best way would be to dismember her. So he put the torso in a bag and he drove it to the Piscataquag River where he would go fishing and he dumped the torso uh, off the trestle into the water. On Vaclav's way back to his apartment, he tossed the rest of Mary's remains in the woods on the other side of town. With Mary's killer off the streets for good, folks in Manchester can go back to a renewed sense of normalcy. But they will always remember the beautiful mother who lived life to the fullest. I think Mary Stetson should be remembered as a, a loving mother, somebody who worked very hard. She took a lot of pride in an honest day's work, and she deserved some happiness in her life. And that's all she was looking for. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.